0: This is the Infatuation Podcast, where I get together with a few friends and talk about Asian people and Asian things that we love. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the best-selling book, Crying in H-Mart. Crying in H-Mart is on many people's list of books to read this summer. This is the first book written by musician Michelle Zahner. It details the loss of her Korean mother to cancer, as well as how her death has formed her identity as a biracial daughter, musician, and wife. Spoiler alert if you haven't read this book yet, you probably want to wait till after you read it before you listen to this podcast. I'm excited to have a couple people here to talk to me. Uh, it's no fun talking about a book by yourself, so I brought in a couple of friends. First, we have, all the way from San Francisco, we have Jackie. Welcome, Jackie. How's it going?
1: Hi. How you doing?
0: Doing good. Good. How, how long have we worked together? We worked together.
1: I have. That was my, this has been my 15 years.
0: At least 15 years. It's yeah.
1: 15 years. Yeah.
0: And Jackie is always fun to talk with. And so even though we've known each other for so long, we've never talked books. This is the first time. we're. Nope. Gonna, I think it's the first time we're talking a book together uh so you were actually one of the first people i thought of when to do this podcast uh several reasons one you're funny no. two <laughs> two uh you are you are a hapa; you are half thai thai mm-hmm. and i actually thought, i actually thought you're half korean to, to be honest <laughs>
1: a lot of people because i you know i live in san francisco a lot of people
0: assume i'm half chinese that's true too i actually do you know any other half thai folks i, I don't think i do i think you're my own
1: um yeah, well my siblings okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah i do know a f- couple we have a few other hoppas at work but i don't know if they're half Thai. i mean i feel like they're
0: yeah half chinese pretty common half japanese pretty common Mm -hmm. but yeah so i thought of you for that reason and you also happen to be an english teacher i am so i figured you'd read a few books in your lifetime so
1: some some. (laughs) you might
0: be able to comment on this but uh (laughs) yeah so i think you'll have some some good insights for us so thanks for joining us today jackie thank you and coming from across the bay we have another another cool person we have kelly hey kelly how's it going hey
2: i'm good one month into summer
0: how are you oh one oh yeah that's right yeah we're good we're good um so you're finishing up you're in college right now so uh one reason i i asked you to help us out is because you're closer to the author's age when she wrote this book so i think you might have some some uh generation Z insights maybe for us today. Yes, for sure. And uh and also you came to America a little later in your life so you have that experience as well of coming to another country and living sort of in between worlds in a way, yeah?
2: Yeah, definitely. So it's basically kind of the daughter and a mom tied together in a way, I guess.
0: I don't know if you caught on, but I I kind of trapped you by posting a post about this book on my Instagram. And I, I kind of wanted to see who would respond to it. And you were one of the people who responded like, oh, I want to read that book.
1: Oh, I need to slide into your instrument. Yeah,
0: I got to We got to become friends on that level, Jackie. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> I posted a picture of the book. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm reading Crying H Mart. And Kelly foolishly responded and said, oh, I love it. I want to read that book, too. So then I remember that. And uh, when I was looking for people <laughs> to talk to me about this book, I said, oh, Kelly wanted to read this book. So that'd be good. So you both got sucked into this, but I hope you enjoy it. We're going to have some fun, I think. Uh, I got a couple questions for you just so the audience can get to know us a little better. Uh, All right. Here's, here's one. We just did a whole episode on food, but I want to know this, this book that we're talking about today is so much about food. Uh, Is there any Asian dish or food that brings you home in your mind? Like, is there any food that, as soon as you eat it or taste it it'll transport you back home
1: heck yeah my mama makes the best which is a uh the thai noodle soup and there's you know versions of it in all sorts of restaurants um but my mom's is the best it's i don't and i tried one time to (laughs) i tried to get her to teach me how to make it and she like left out ingredients.
0: <laughs> On purpose, she sabotaged me. Yes,
1: and I was like, mom, this doesn't <laughs> taste the same. And she goes, no, it's good, it's same, it's all good, all same, and I'm like, what is, di- like, this is totally, there's something missing, and she just wouldn't, I don't yeah. know if she, like, forgot or forgot, you know?
0: Yeah, So yeah.
1: Uh, Anyway, I nobody makes it like her. Every once in a while, I can find one that's similar but um yeah that's that's the one thing that oh, that's god, a good one. that yeah. takes me home and you know my mom's getting old so i'm like oh god it's gonna die with her
0: they don't write these things down so you're never I gonna know.
1: well that, yeah as Michelle Zonner actually says that in her book like right. you know koreans korean good korean cooks don't measure they just you know dump stuff in and that's it's all by taste yeah.
2: mm-hmm. that's the yeah. way it should
1: be
0: that I mean, that is the, the asian way that's the yeah. asian mama way
2: Mm-hmm. how about when you kelly ask her measurement they're like just a little bit go with the foot <laughs> what does that mean right
0: just yeah. feel it feel <laughs> it
2: for me my favorite asian comfort would definitely be dim sum i actually <laughs> just had it <laughs> earlier before this podcast uh-huh. this and because like back in china when i like live with my parents we'll go to um yam cha or get dim sum every saturday there's no changes to that plan. It's basically our family bonding every week. So that's definitely part of my memory all the time.
1: Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite little dish? dim sum dish?
2: I'll say hargao because I love shrimp a Trim,
0: lot. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last warm up question. Well, actually, no. Well, I think it's the last one. But uh, have you been to H Mart? We have a new one here in San Francisco.
1: Oh, we do? Yeah. Ne- I had never even heard of it. I had to look it up after I started
0: reading this book. Ah, yeah, Where it just opened. It? <laughs> it's over on the southern part of town. So you got to come on, okay. on over to the south.
1: Yeah, I thought it wasn't just an East Coast thing. I didn't even know. OK, well, I'm going to have to check that out.
0: Yeah, it has been mostly an East Coast thing. But yeah, they it's kind of a big deal. There was a huge kind of line. And you know they were building during the whole pandemic. But they just oh, opened really? up maybe a month ago. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I just went yesterday. I went for the first time yesterday to do research. Did you cry? <laughs> I did not cry. Oh.
1: Uh,
0: it is pretty overwhelming. You know, I almost cried out of fear because it's pretty overwhelming. <laughs> it is uh it's it's well stocked. If you if you like those little banchan, you know, the little dishes that you get with the Korean meal, they have refrigerator cases after refrigerator cases full of those things
1: i sometimes get confused at at korean restaurants because there's so many there's so many yeah Yeah, i'm like what do i put on what i don't know
0: well see now you can try them individually you can buy you can buy (laughs) one pack of each one and try them
2: oh yeah i was gonna say i've been to the one in san diego when i was visiting my friend it was huge like bigger than ranch 99 i think and there's just so many aisles of snacks that i cannot stop taking so it's a scary place. I'm gonna get so much, so much snacks from there. Oh my gosh! I, maybe it is dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a dangerous, dangerous place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's get to, let's get into this book a little bit. Um, so a little bit about Michelle Honor. Um, she I've watched a couple interviews with her. It's interesting. She to me comes across as pretty shy. You know, she seems kind of like an introvert to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you watch her perform uh, I don't know if you know this also she's also a musician she's actually maybe better known as a musician but this is her first book but when she performs on stage as part of her band Japanese Breakfast she is uh very dynamic and very charismatic on stage
1: like a character you know like acting
0: yeah I would imagine
1: Beyonce talks about that all the time about taking on what is her her character? Sasha Fierce.
0: Sasha Fierce. So maybe yeah,
1: Michelle has you know that similar feeling
0: when. She's yeah, I, I can imagine watching. that. Yeah, because uh, on stage, yeah, definitely a different persona. But in her interviews, she's kind of shy. I mean, she's not like painfully shy, but she's a little quiet. Uh, she has a Jewish American dad and a Korean mom. She was actually born in Korea. And moved to Eugene, Oregon, when she was like nine months. So she didn't spend a lot of time living full time in Korea, but she did go visit. Uh, what was it? Every other year, I think she said she went back with her mom in
1: the to
0: to visit Seoul in the summer. Yeah. So she grew up in Eugene, like not even the main part of this. Now Eugene's not a huge city, but she lived kind of in the cuts of eugene way out there and was alone a lot i think she said and then she ended up going to college on the east coast and kind of tried to make it out there in philadelphia and then eventually new york uh and then yeah we'll talk about her music later she's part of this band called japanese breakfast which kind of came out of this whole experience in a way she says uh but this book yeah this book she she entered it as an essay in glamour magazine (laughs) not really known for its uh literary contribution to society but glamour magazine had an essay contest and she won and this was in 2016 so i think she had just lost her mom a couple years earlier so she she wrote this essay i think it was the same title crying in hmart and then it got picked up by the new yorker and once it hit the New Yorker, it went kind of viral.
1: Hey, New Yorker. And once you get in the New Yorker, you're, you're in. You're not
0: hurting. Yeah. So she got uh, she got picked up by the New Yorker. And then all these book authors offers came flying her way. And so the book just came out, in, what was it, April this year, 2021. And it blew up. It went uh, got all the way up to number two on the New York Times nonfiction list. George W. Bush beat her. George W. Bush was number one the week that she got to number two. <laughs> But uh, so that's pretty good for a first time author. I mean, not pretty good. That's is, that is amazing, right? We should all be so lucky to, mm-hmm. to win an essay contest and, and get it on the New York Times bestseller list. But uh, when did you hear about this book? Did you, like you both, I think, had heard of it before I mentioned no. it? No. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> no, I hadn't at all i'm too busy reading young adult books but, i mean
0: sorry to get you out of your comfort zone
1: i need i need the romance though <laughs> so, you know this is like uh, a memoir no yeah. no i hadn't heard of it until you okay. mentioned
0: it, well, kelly you'd heard of it
2: yeah um so i actually know like japanese breakfast before i know like michelle this name and japanese breakfast was confided as guests to perform our like school Friday or something oh cool. on Saturday, she was like a performer and she also promoted her book I checked out like her Instagram and all that yeah it's all about her books so I was like interesting topics uh I'll definitely so you saw her perform yeah it's it's on zoom for sure but like yeah I know her as Japanese Breakfast before mm-hmm. I know she has Okay. Books oh
0: that's that's cool, cool. yeah it's definitely yeah. on a lot of people's reading lists I, I was kind of looking around for books that we might want to do for this podcast and this is the one that popped out the most when I looked at young or or fresh Asian authors her, her book definitely popped up mm-hmm. and here's some breaking news I don't know if you heard this it just got picked up as a movie yeah Orion Pictures yeah
1: oh well, that'll be fun I can see it oh, right yeah
0: I yeah, I would definitely that. watch it. I could see some scenes. You know, they have to find a an actress who can play a high schooler all the way to you know adulthood.
1: Well, for Asian people, that's not too hard.
0: Some people look like they're <laughs> teenagers in their forties, but uh, Asian don't uh, raise yeah, them. I wish I wish I could say that is a hundred percent true, but um, but yeah, so that'll be exciting. So that just got announced, I think, um, this week. So I just I I just heard oh, that. Awesome. You know
1: wow that's amazing though that's amazing that like that she just released this book so and this fast. is already happening yeah like, they've already, i mean yeah that's crazy her.
0: so that's exciting so yeah so uh I, i'm excited to to be a part of this you know i feel like this might launch her even more famous this podcast right this infatuation yeah. once oh, she, yeah yeah i mean once you're on infatuation
1: it'll be because of us for sure
0: <laughs> all right so let's get into this book uh were you surprised that first first page or two they already she already explains the title to you? Um
1: no, I actually I'm well, I was happy she did because I'm like, what's Hmart? Um <laughs> I've never heard of it. So uh no, I was glad she did. And I like the the description of Hmart entirely and what you know Kelly was saying about how and both of you actually were saying about how big it is and how overwhelming it is. She really conveys that well, I think, in the book. So I'm curious, like, does the one that that you've been to have the bit the food court thing up top. oh yeah oh wow the whole thing oh my gosh all right well,
0: go. going yeah nearby. they got the fried chicken they got the little uh, stone pots uh... yeah bring your wallet though it's, it's not super cheap
1: okay <laughs> yeah so no I was glad and in I mean honestly like my mom hasn't passed yet but um just even going into Asian any Asian food store because I I don't, I don't cook Asian food. Actually, I don't really cook. But um, when I do go to an Asian store, I feel pretty damn nostalgic, you know, and so I can see how, especially now, since her mom has passed, like how that would be incredibly emotional. And I'm glad that she explains it in the beginning. Mm And, you know, even looking at the little dried fish makes you tear up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that was pretty cool.
0: Plus, it kind of braces you that you you know this is coming. You know that her mom's gonna pass away, so it it kind of braces you. Like you're not gonna be shocked when you see it happen because it's pretty shocking right. how how it just goes downhill so fast.
1: Oh gosh, and it's so sad.
0: But uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it starts off with crying. You know, first two paragraphs, she's already crying. <laughs> so lets you know, there's going to be some more tears coming on in, in, as this book goes on. But uh, I, I guess one, one of the things that I really liked was that um, Michelle mentions that when she looks around at, at people with their parents, and even though these parents might be doing something totally annoying, like this one mom was telling her son how to eat, you know, the guy was like 20 something, right? And this mom is telling her son, oh, this is how you eat this dish that he's probably had a 100 times. <laughs> and she would say, that was so annoying when my mom would do that to me. But now it makes her cry, you know, now when she sees that. Huh?
1: Now she misses yeah. it. Yeah,
0: so are there any, for you, are there any memories that, like you said, I think, I think our moms are all still alive. But uh, as, as you read that, can you already or already sort of imagine in the future what it would be like to kind of have that suddenly missing from your life?
1: Well, I mean, I kind of said it, yeah. I mean, it's already going there. The funny, the food thing though is really funny. My brother, who is quite a bit older than me, he's 15 years older than me, um, grew up mostly in Thailand. And um, he has one son. And I remember when his son was, actually, no, he still does it. My, my nephew is 33 and he's still, my brother is still doing this. Whenever we go out to eat any Asian food, he's like, eat it like this put okay now put that in the soup and then you know okay on your spoon put put one of these okay now taste it like that don't it's too hot okay be careful and it's just it's this constant controlling how do you eat something and so it wasn't my mother that did it but it was my brother um my very asian brother who (laughs) and it's so freaking annoying but it's really endearing, yeah. right? And I think that's what she was trying to also. It's it's he just my brother just wants you to have the best <laughs> best tasting experience, but he's doing it in such a, like a commanding right. way. It's like, oh my
0: gosh, <laughs> chill out, man.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: Now, Kayla, we haven't mentioned this, but uh, you actually don't live with your mom anymore, uh, and your mom mm-hmm. is actually half the world away, right? She's still in, she's oh. still in China, so you've been here for five six years without. Is
2: that right? Ah, it's crazy to think that I've been like living away with my parents for the five years. So
0: do you have a trigger? You know that you experience something when your that your mom used to do when she was right with you.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, like uh, when I was in China, I go to a middle school that's like boarding school. I need to live in dorms, and every time I go back to school, she will pack me like boxes of fruit that washed, cut, boxed, and tiny little Tupperwares. And I remember uh, Michelle wrote about how her muscles enter boxes of fruits. And also, I guess, fruits is just important in Asian family. <laughs> Whenever we have arguments with our parents, the way they resolve arguments is just to call you out to eat fruits or send cut fruit <laughs> into your door. Be like, here's the orange. So I guess that really triggers a lot of memories in me. So.
1: That's true. I never thought about that, but that's true
0: the fruit it's something about i guess that's their treat you know it's like when they're when our when our parents or when you had ancestors and in, in their homeland you know eating fruit was kind of like their candy or their dessert i guess it's kind of something special
1: and for some some Asian cultures it's it was a luxury yeah. you know it was a luxury for my mom's family to have fruit yeah. so that's important that's really cool memory
0: one memory i have you know my dad's still here but um this is going to be kind of funny but we used to go every sunday we would go out to do exercises as a family and we would go out. And so we would do laps around now. Now it's called school of the arts, but it used to be called McAteer high school. They have a track out there and we would do like little laps around there. And my dad would, would have us bring garbage bags so that we could collect aluminum cans while we were exercising. Part of our exercise was to go around the campus and pick up aluminum cans. Now, you know, that's not so uncommon for Asian families, but I, I should tell you, my my dad is a dentist and a professor at UCSF, you know, so he's like, we weren't, we weren't needing the cash, right? But it was just something that he grew up in the depression, you know, he grew up pretty poor mm-hmm. and there's something about, Hey, there's money laying around on the streets, basically in the form of aluminum cans, even though it's only a nickel, right? but
1: I mean, he could have posed it as an environmental thing.
0: No, no, it was about, it was about the, the five cents, right? It was about us getting, you know, and, and you do it for a couple of weeks and we'd have maybe one bag full that's worth, you know, $12 and 50 cents or something like that for, <laughs> for hours and hours of work, but for some reason it was worth it to him. And uh, so now, you know, even, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm hardcore about it. I'm definitely not hardcore about it, but now if I see, when I see kids throw and it is for the environment as well, but if I see a, a student or a kid throwing an aluminum can in the garbage can, it bothers me so much. I have to pick it out.
1: Oh my gosh. I get on them in in, in my, in the classroom. I get on them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That goes in recycling.
0: All right. Um, Let's see. Moving on. So one thing that she mentions in this book is that um, she kind of had an in with her. She she was on the outs with her mom a lot. She disagreed with her mom on just about everything. But the one thing, the one area where they bonded was food. And she was able, she, she had a real taste for Korean food. And one of these rites of passages, I think for her, or I don't know if it's a rite of passage or more of a just kind of proving earning some some merit with her mom was eating this octopus tentacle that had just been cut off an octopus and i think she she did it just kind of to show that she would and and her and impressed her mom and it actually earned her some points so uh is there anything that you do with your parents is that does that memory strike any anything for you with your parents and you and trying to impress them in your Asian-ness at all have you ever tried to flex on them with your Asian-ness?
1: I think when I was a teenager I actually rebelled against all my Asianness. Um we I did not I related with Michelle some of her like schoolmates were talking about uh you know there's a scene where she's like some girl is asking what are you? What no what are you? And it's like well I'm human. <laughs> but this girl is asking what ethnicity she is. And so I where where I grew up I grew up in a rural area as well. And um, we didn't just get the what are you's. We got the, um, what's wrong with your mom? What's wrong with her accent? What's wrong with, you know? And we got, we got called pretty racist things. Um, so uh, it was pretty traumatic. And so by the time I was a teenager, I was like, I'm not speaking Thai. I am not eating any Asian food. I'm not doing any of this. Um, I didn't even eat like rice for years and years and it's funny because I have another Asian friend from high school who when we were in high school we never ate any of my mom's food and now we talk about she's like oh all the good food we missed of your mother's I'm like yeah but when we you know when I met you I'm like I hated all that crap I hated it and or and really what it was was uh I number one I was sick of it and number two I it was my way of rebelling because I didn't feel comfortable being who I was, I being the biracial person I was. So, um, cause I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And, um, so, you know, the food thing just kind of, you know, but now when people ask to, you know, everybody always wants to go to Thai food, which is, you know, I have to be in the mood for it, but when I am, I really am. And it's, and it's very, you know, I, I regret a lot of things about my childhood. Um, or actually my teen years but one of the things is that I didn't that I kind of gave up all that good food <laughs> and learn actually learn how to cook it honestly
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think with Michelle she had a real tough time with her mom it sounds like from the get-go from from even a young young age she was a different she was not what her mom expected like there's even that line there was like I guess I'd never met anyone like you before when she oh yeah that yeah, was that was kind of telling where
1: oh and that the realization like the the what that horrible moment in the book where her mom tells her that she had an abortion yeah
0: to make her feel bad
1: oh my gosh and I thought maybe mom was like lying or something but apparently you know I guess it was true and it's just oh my gosh that that yeah I remember getting to arguments like that man with my mom <laughs>
2: She was about to leave for college, right? That day. And they still end up having a large, like huge oh, that's argument. Right, that's
1: right. It was right when she was leaving for college. Oh. Yeah. That's tough. That must have been tough.
0: Yeah, I mm-hmm. I I can't totally relate to that. I've never had one of those they had a, you know, a physical altercation. Um mm-hmm. if you if you read the book, you'll see the scene where in and her mom wasn't a huge woman, but her mom was, you know, trying to hold her down and and you know michelle fought her way free and was going to call 911 and then her 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 dad came in and 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 took the phone away from her and then her mom told her dad to hit her Mm -hmm. and yeah it was just ugly ugly scene but it i could see it happening but it's real I
1: it's so real and you know i find it um in these memoirs, I don't know how many memoirs you've read, but you know, a lot of them you come to the harsh reality that a lot of people don't show a public. I mean, there's a public side and there's a private side, and there's more dysfunction amongst all of us than we all realize. Everybody has a weird family, right? Yeah. We've all got something funky going on in our homes that we don't talk about in public. And to air it publicly like this is really brave, I feel like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not pretty, but this happens a lot.
0: I'm sure. Yeah.
1: You know, it's pretty cool to that she put it in there.
0: Yeah. And you know, as a parent, I know I've lost it and I would be embarrassed if there was a camera on me, you know, when I've, when I've messed up with my kids or I've said something that, you know, you can't take back and it's just tough, you know, when you, when you see this little person and and she wasn't little at the time, but you see this person that came from you and you've known, you've known since a baby and then, you know, they might be talking back to you. And, you know, my kids are still pretty little, but I can imagine what it would be like for some one of my own children to talk back to me like that and just rebel. I could see how that would just trigger so many moments of rage in, in a mom.
1: Oh yeah. Do you mind if I read a little excerpt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a part, um, let's see, on page 17. Well, she writes about her mother. Hers was a tougher, tougher than tough love. It was brutal industrial strength, a sinewy love that never gave way to an inch of weakness was a love that saw what was best for you 10 steps ahead and didn't care if it hurt like hell in the meantime when i got hurt she felt it so deeply it was as though it were her own affliction she was guilty only of caring too much i realize this now only in retrospect no one in this world would ever love me as much as my mother and she would never let me forget it stop crying save your tears for when your mother dies yeah. <laughs> That that excerpt really stood out to me because it's like yeah they're doing it all for good reasons they believe and you know that whole realization of of when i kind of realized my parents were human and like flawed they they all just meant well right Mm -hmm. even when you're upset and there's a reason why you get upset and there's a reason why you yell at your kids you know or whatever and it maybe it's not the right decision but it's like everybody has they care that much you know And, and she she was able to realize that later in life
0: yeah, you know, those, those cliche lines that parents use sometimes like, I didn't raise you to be like this, you know, I didn't raise you, you you laugh at it when you're a kid, right? But when you're a parent, it starts coming out of your mouth, you know, like, you can totally imagine like, wait, I did not, you were, no. this is not how you are, you you know, this is not how you're supposed to act. And yeah, I could see, I can, I read this book, I think I probably read this book different than Kelly did, because, you know, now that I'm a parent, and I, you know, I'm a different stage in the sense that. I could see I could see her mom's side a lot of the time. You know, she's not the perfect mom by any means, but I could see her mom's side in a lot of this book actually.
1: Well, isn't that the point though that they're both trying? They're both trying to figure it out. You know, they're both yep. like um even her dad, well, sometimes trying to figure out how how to be, how to act, how to cuz nobody you know, there's no handbook for this crap, right? So, um you have to figure it out as you go.
0: How about you, Kelly? You ever have any big clashes with your parents?
2: Well, it's it's very rare that like we have arguments, I guess, which is kind of unusual because I grew up seeing how my aunts, my uncles will have large and chaotic arguments with their kids. And I feel like for me, I'm more like, I guess we, we're just very peaceful for a <laughs> bit, but there are definitely like awkward moments where like, I don't know what to say or like how to talk to them. There's this phase I just felt like, oh, they don't understand what I'm talking about. And I don't understand what they're talking about. And I guess I'm still kind of going through this. Like when I try to talk to them, they try to impose certain like lectures on me. And I'll be like, we're living such different lives now since they're like on the other side of the world. I just thought that, no, sometimes our conversation is just so different from what I remembered in the
0: past. But uh, yeah, it's something that all kids probably have with their parents, but I, I, think there's something about, um, the, there's, there's also the aspect of the culture, the cultural difference between her mom and, and she. And I, I think she, she mentioned that she'd never felt a hundred percent one or the other. And I, I think, I think all of us can feel that way, you know, living in this country and then Jackie being biracial, but you know, I'm, I'm fifth generation. So I, I, you know, I don't have much in common with folks in China, honestly. <laughs> you know, if I if, I, if you pop me down in China, I wouldn't have a whole lot in common. So I'm not I don't belong in China, per se. But there's times in America where based on the way I look, people would think that one thing or another. Right. But uh, so I, I, don't, I can agree with that. Not being 100 percent American and not feel not feeling 100 percent American, not feeling 100 percent Chinese.
1: I felt totally displaced my my whole life until I moved. It's funny, until I moved to San Francisco. Cause I, it's so much more diverse here than where I grew up. My mom, my mom never felt, she feels like at home now, but she still is so such a foreigner where she is. And, um, you know, and people assume things about her. I went to the store with her to get a passport photo a couple months ago. And the woman, my mom has a pretty thick accent, but she speaks English fluently. Like she's fine. She went up to the woman and asked her for a passport photo. And, but the woman kept talking to me
0: like you're the to interpreter to and talk to
1: my yeah. mother and I literally I don't speak Thai so I I would just say exactly what the woman said <laughs> in, in English. English to my mother but you know people just yeah you're right people make assumptions about you based on how you look or how you sound or whatever and um but I mean I am like Michelle I immigrated when I was like two so I don't remember Asia at all but Kelly you're totally you you came from a totally different circumstance did you yeah. did you want to come to the U.S.? I'm curious.
2: Okay, so it's a little complicated. My family actually um, immigrated when I was nine. They brought, like, we'll come here every year just to like, you know, have the um, residence. And then they will be like, oh, let's like go back to China for school. I don't want you to come here for middle school so that you'll forget everything you learned in China. So, okay. And when it's time to um, take the test for high school in China, they asked, do you want to come to the US for high school? I was like, for sure. And it was actually super intimidating. For me, everyone talks at like two times speed. Oh, yeah it's so different so different even though I learned English in China it was a whole phase of transitioning but now that like I I would say I'm fluent now I'll like you know I still have accent and that's fine and I kind of like how I'm actually like bilingual at this point
1: oh you're so lucky that you are you're so lucky that you are this is treasure that that's one thing that I pooped all over when I was a kid I didn't I was so ashamed of my mom's ethnicity that I even though she I can understand what she says to me I can't speak it back and it really so treasure that
2: do you speak Mandarin as well I actually I'm technically trilingual I speak Cantonese Mandarin oh see that's
1: awesome awesome. good for you (laughs) I know I'm jealous
0: so jealous now Kelly if you go back to China do you feel a little bit like an outsider there or do you slide right back in
2: That's a really good question. Um, If you asked me this question like three years ago, I would definitely say China is basically my home, but now it's so different now. Like if people ask where you're from, I'll say San Francisco Mm. instead of like China. Cause I just felt like, I don't know. I think high school and college is such an important phase for me to develop my personal values and like my personal interests and all that. And for me, I guess, china is more like a piece of memories in my mind now so i do feel like sometimes when i talk to my chinese friends um from elementary school i do feel like an outsider now mm.
1: it's so
0: different yeah.
1: i mean michelle talks about that in her book too like where how she felt out of place here and we mentioned this but you know the girl who was like "Who? what are you and then she goes to korea and these ladies are like you're not korean yeah She's like, well, no, I am. They look, and that that scrutinizing look that she gets from the, you know, the people in Korea that are like, you're not. They almost want to say, what are you? Just like the American girls. Yeah, you know? no,
0: she gets it from both sides. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of get that too because, uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in the time when you wanted to assimilate, right? You, the goal was to to not be noticed. The goal. So my parents. My mom grew up in Chinatown, so she speaks a little Chinese, but she never forced me to go to Chinese school or forced me to learn. And I think it came from the place, you know, I don't know, I don't want to get political or anything, but, you know, America's been at war with Asia since World War II, since Pearl Harbor, right? So ever mm-hmm. since that, those times, you know, Asians have been the enemy from Korea to Vietnam to even the Middle East, right? Where, where, mm-hmm. You know, and that's where my parents, that era where my parents grew up, where, you know, you you don't want to treasure your Asian heritage. You want to fit in as much as possible, right? So, so I, I really regret not learning Chinese. I really regret not being able to speak. And when I went to China for the first time in my 20s, I'd never been to Asia before in my 20s, and I went there for the first time. I had never felt as much like an American as I did when, well, you know, when you go to China and the and people, they look, they even looked at me and knew I didn't speak Chinese. Just looking at me, they knew I didn't speak Chinese. So it was kind of like, wow, how can you even tell? just by looking at me, but somehow they just knew I was a foreigner. And, and yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm in my homeland, supposed homeland, right? But I'm such a foreigner, like complete, yeah. complete foreigner. And it, it kind of shook me a little bit and made me realize where is my home? You know, where do I actually fit in? Where do I belong? I think Michelle had the same, same issues.
1: Yeah, I actually, I have another excerpt. Yeah, right. yeah, please. Mind, it's in chapter three where she says, uh, I didn't have the tools then to question the beginnings of my complicated desire for whiteness. In Eugene, I was one of just a few mixed-race kids at my school, and most people thought of me as Asian. I felt awkward and undesirable, and no one ever complimented my appearance. In Seoul, most Koreans assumed I was Caucasian until my mother stood beside me, and they could see the other half of her fused to me, and I made sense. Suddenly, my exotic look was something to be celebrated. So, yeah, she just, like you said, she gets it from both sides, um, and she's never, and she doesn't learn, she's kind of like me. She didn't learn enough Korean to really communicate well. But she she definitely goes back to Korea. I've never been back to Thailand. I was born there, but I've never been back. Mm. And um, people ask me, you know, oh, you should, you know, they tell me you should go and, and all this stuff. I don't know. I think there's still this ingrained um, shame that was put on me when I was a kid for being different. So I am I think that's like some sort of weird psycho thing that's going on with me. I, I embrace it a little more. I kind of want to go, but the idea, you know why I want to go? I want to go like lay on a beach.
0: Yeah, it'd be cool to go just because it's a cool place, right? It's a cool place to go. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's the only reason I'm like, oh, I guess I could go find out where my, my family's from. We'll always want us to go
2: to Thailand.
1: Okay, let's go, Kelly. You and me. We're in. Hey, what about me? I can't come along. I guess, I guess, Curtis, you can come too. They're
2: so cheap and so cool.
0: But yeah, it is a cheap, it is a cheap place to live. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's beautiful, apparently. But it's hot as heck.
0: Uh let's see. Did we talk about this already? We we're talking about parents at all. Um, like, I don't think when you read this book, you don't you don't ever doubt that her mom loved her. Like you can you can sense the mom, the mom's love for her from Everything she does, even though, like you said, Jackie, it's flawed in so many ways and just wrong mm. in so many ways. But through it all, I think Michelle would agree that she sensed her mom's love every step of the way.
1: I wouldn't say every step of the way. I certainly, it, she feels it later. Yeah,
0: that's true. When it was happening, yeah. not so much.
1: Right now. I mean, most most people don't feel that when you're when you're being hit with a, if you're being punished or you know you have a consequence of something nobody likes getting into trouble (laughs) but uh I feel like yeah later she's like oh yeah it's very American to tell your children that you love them right yeah um I know a lot of Asian cultures don't do that it's not you know I love you's don't go flowing
2: Mm -hmm. I guess for me my parents love language was definitely very different um, for my mom, she's definitely not, like, stereotypical Asian mom or, like, tiger moms. She's, <laughs> like, saying that I love you all the time. And it's just, uh-huh. be like, you're so cheesy. Like, in the public, she would say that out loud. I was like, no, mom, it's okay. <laughs> Everybody can hear that. So, yeah, my mom is definitely a different mom type. And for my dad, um, I guess... Um, he just loves to cook and whenever I go home or comes back from school he'll cook me a lot of dishes He'll make sure that every dish is freshly made and I think from when I was younger I just kind of how they loved me which is lucky to say I guess but yeah and also love that they have no like Asian expectations on me be like you have to be a doctor lawyer anything of that they just be like You can do whatever you enjoy as long as you're happy we're happy
1: oh that's awesome
2: no wonder you're so chill
0: yeah well she's also a really good kid too i don't think her parents have a lot to complain about
1: yeah that's yeah
0: (laughs) but for me yeah my mom is 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 a little touchy-feely and and will gush and and things but my dad has never said i love you but i figured out later in life how my dad shows his love is that he'll talk about me to other people yeah and yeah and i i I never you know he'll never say i love you or i'm proud of you but you know someone that i haven't seen in a while will say oh yeah your dad said you're doing this and i was like oh he did and it's just kind of i guess it just just surprised me that my dad you know one noticed what i was doing and, and two it would brag about it to his <laughs> friends and it kind of showed me that yeah that's kind of how he shows he's proud of me as he talks about me you know
1: I, I had the same realization years ago with my aunt my aunt's like oh your dad is so proud of you he he told us about when you did this this and this I'm like what <laughs> like I had no idea that he okay uh,
2: so yeah similar you should not share things in common I guess
0: I guess so. Uh, yeah um I have a quote I have a quote I want to read uh it's from chapter nine, it's called Where Are We Going? Uh, there's a story. So let me read a quote from here. It's where Michelle is talking to her aunt and her, uh, Unmi, and her aunt says, You're going on a journey and you have five animals, Unmi said, a lion, a horse, a cow, a monkey, and a lamb. And then I'm going to skip a little bit. Unmi asks, Which of these do you give up first? So every stop of the way, you have to give up one of these animals. And Michelle says, definitely, definitely the lion, I said, because it would eat the other animals. In me nodded in agreement. And then what do you get rid of next? In me asked, neatly skimming her spoon along the shave ice and sweet red bean, a thin thread of condensed milk trailing after it. I mulled over the question, envisioning myself on the kind of journey that would involve many modes of transportation. I imagined handling the large animals with difficulty, wrestling with them to cooperate as I boarded a steamer, a train, a ferry. I thought it would be best to discard the large ones first. I guess the cow and then the horse, I said. Deciding between the lamb and the monkey was the most difficult. Both animals were small and easy to manage. The lamb felt the most comforting. I imagined myself nestled in its wool for warmth, alone on a train speeding into the unknown dark. But then the monkey felt the most human, a companion to see me through it all. I'd keep the monkey, I decided? Interesting, she said. So each of the animals symbolizes your priorities in life. What you get rid of first is what you think is least important. What you keep last is your highest priority. The lion represents pride, What you got rid of first. That makes sense, I said. I was worried to eat the other animals, just like pride eats away at your priorities. Like you really can't love someone if you have too much pride or work your way up to a good job if you feel everything beneath you. The cow represents wealth because you can milk it. The horse represents your career because you can ride it through. The lamb is love and the monkey is your baby. Which one did you keep? I asked. I picked the horse. Did you tell my mom about the game? What did she pick? I asked, hoping we'd pick the same thing that she'd pick me. Your mom picked the monkey, of course. And actually, uh, I know this is uh, one of Michelle's favorite quotes because I heard her read it uh, in an interview. So I think that's one of the moments that she realized a little bit for maybe not the first time, but she realized realized how much her mom really likes her. Not likes her, (laughs) really loves her.
1: Loves her, yeah. Yeah. I think culturally it's hard to find like there's a happy medium somewhere but i mean american versus you know korean there there's a hard it's difficult to rectify the two the problem for poor michelle though is that her her, she was like 25 when her mom died right that's a hard lesson to learn at it you know as a young adult that's tough and her mom was was 56 i think that's so young And it's super heartbreaking. So it's it's amazing that and her writing is so eloquent and interesting. And I know she has a lot of editors and stuff, but I mean the way that she describes everything, it really puts you there. And, and that's that's a tough lesson. You know, she's had she had to tough it out. Yeah. And but it's oh gosh, it's, it's gut wrenching. Well, let's so let's get know.
0: into it. The the main antagonist in this story is is the disease, right? cancer yeah and you know the older you get the more people you know who get it and then it gets closer and closer and then eventually yeah so it it hits pretty close to home for a lot of some people hits really early you know like we know some students who've lost parents to cancer in their teens right and so this is a rough 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 disease my my wife was diagnosed with cancer in 2018 we're not expecting that at all there are no signs of it at all and up to that point, you know, we've had we've had friends or aunt, you know, like distant aunts or you know, we've had we've known people we've got, but until it comes to your house, you know, I I think it is something that just seems so distant and not personal at all. But then it becomes incredibly personal, and and so you know when it happens, you kind of question. And I, I I felt a lot for Michelle during the treatments because you really start to question: is this is the treatment worse than the disease? You know, and I, I think you really start to question uh, why are we doing this? Cause it doesn't seem like it's, you know, if my wife is in remission and everything's great. So of course, yeah, if you can get good treatment, get good treatment, but there are some cancers or there are some stages of cancer where, yeah, you know, I don't know. You have to make that decision. And her mom let them know, you know, if this doesn't work after two treatments, that's it. And that was super, that was super tough to read.
1: Yeah, that was, and it went, you know, it was a type of cancer and the her tumor was so big that they didn't think they could come back from it. So I think mom was awfully realistic about that. And yeah. no, like neither Michelle nor her husband, her dad, M- Michelle's dad could make that decision. Mom had to do it. And it, you know, this lady's tough as nails, but you know, my, I, I there's, I think I've known, Oh, at least 20 people in the last 15 years that have gotten cancer um a, a number of them have lived through it and a number of them have died my the closest person though i, I would say is uh my sister in law and but in, and it always always de- depends on what kind of cancer it is right because some of it's super terminal and some of it's not i think michelle's mom knew yeah this is this is going to be the... we'll try it's almost like she decides i'll try for my you know my husband and my daughter but
0: but even that almost killed her. <laughs> I mean, even that was
1: Yeah. I mean that was just like she spent weeks in the hospital and yeah, that was just awful. So she knew. She knew, I think.
2: And for me, I think the first time I really encountered like death in my life is when my grandfather um got diagnosed with cancer and he's in the US when I was in China. So I couldn't even like fly back before his death so because um when he goes to the doctor it was already pretty terminal you know how like Asian parents or like Asian grandparents they wouldn't like they just won't go to the doctors unless it's super bad and when they actually request to go to the doctors you know that's already... when you
1: know it's really bad yeah yeah he died here in the U.S.
2: yeah he did oh. how old were you I was in elementary school or middle school. Pretty young. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: I think, you know, the real like how my sister-in-law was not realistic about her disease. She had ovarian cancer Mm
0: -hmm. and she
1: which is extremely terminal. And she fought it for eight years, which and I usually like the height of fighting ovarian cancer is five years. Um, so she but she really like to the very end. I remember the last conversation i had with her was very um she was like this is really scary i'm really scared which broke my heart um but uh, you know michelle's mom was very can i read another excerpt (laughs) she's very like you know candid about she's just she kind of knew um this is in uh i think chapter 10 do you think he'll get married again they're talking about dad I think he will probably she said she looked like she didn't mind it that it was something that they would discussed together before he'll probably marry another asian woman i cringed particularly distressed at the thought of it being another asian woman it was mortifying to imagine what people might think that he could just replace her that he had yellow fever it cheapened their bond it cheapened us i don't think i could stand it i said i don't think i could accept it it's disgusting There was a dangerous and unspoken prospect looming that without my mother to bond us, my father and I would drift apart. I was not essential to him in the way I knew I was to my mother, and I could see that in the aftermath there would be a struggle to coexist, that there was a good chance we would come unmoored, that our family would dissolve entirely. I waited for my mother to scold me, to assert that he was my father, my blood, that I was selfish and spoiled for thinking that way about the man who had provided for us instead she rested her hand on my neck resigned to the fact that she could not help what she knew was left unsaid you'll do whatever you have to do Hmm. um that's another thing like uh michelle's mom was the bond between her her and her father like and she knew that and so that's scary too like not only will you lose a parent but you're in a sense she's she was losing two parents one, you know, and,
0: and her um, culture, like she was the, one, the yeah. one link to Koreanness. But yeah, there was that quote that she said uh, When I lost my mom, she asked herself, Am I even Korean anymore? That there's no Ugh. one left to call and ask which brand of seaweed she, we used to buy. You know, like that's that was a tough realization when her mom was dying. It's like, Man, I'm, I'm not just losing my mom, I'm losing my dad, and I could lose my dad, and I'm losing my, my link and my link to my culture. Her mom passes away. She's grasping for straws a little bit, you know, and that's where this book came from, you know, and that's also where the music came from. I think she she had been a musician before, but to no success, you know, to very little success, trying to do it and playing these dinky little, you know, places and stuff. And then I think she just locks herself in in her in her room and starts writing some music. And it becomes Japanese breakfast, and
1: while her mom was
0: dying, yeah. So she's penning some yeah. of this stuff, and then her mom passes. Here's dying, and then she passes away, and and she just kind of poured herself into this, which is a little ironic, right? Because her mom didn't really support her music musicianship or her her dream of becoming a, a professional musician. So it's kind of there's definitely some irony here that. Uh, it turns out that Japanese Breakfast goes on that, that album that she wrote as sort of a, a way of coping uh, blows up and actually becomes mm-hmm. quite popular in the indie music scene. And um, have you guys heard any of her music?
1: Only since I started reading this book, I started looking up some of it. Mm-hmm. Kelly, you said you heard
0: it, right? You...
2: Yeah. I've heard the most popular ones.
0: Yeah. And if you listen to the music, it. It's not what like when I heard that the that this experience kind of led her to write this music, I was expecting somber, you know, kind of sad music, but it's not at all. It's um the lyrics are touching, but the the rhythms are very hypnotic and almost they're bouncy. They're very bouncy and hypnotic and there's kind of a karaoke feel to them, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh yeah, I, I I, it's interesting. I I have been listening to her for a week or two now and and you can't help but bob your head along with the music and it's very catchy. But then you start to listen to the, the lyrics a little more carefully and you realize this is pretty deep. You know, I think for a lot of people, this music first and now this book really really touched uh, uh, a nerve because I think you're right. She's very honest.
1: Well, it's, I'm sure it's therapeutic for her. You know, one of the questions that we always have in, in um, as an English teacher, you know, why, why, why do people write? Number one, why do people write and why do they, and I, I don't just mean literature. I mean, you know, music as well, lyrics, poetry, any mm-hmm. of that. Why do they write and why do they publish it? Cause there's two different things, right? A lot of us write things, but it's another thing to like, put it out in the world. And, and ha- want others to to read it or to be part of it. I mean, why do musicians, you know, make their stuff public, you know? And I feel like, number one, one of the main answers is to not feel alone. And another is therapy. So I, this is definitely, and she pretty yeah. much admits yeah. it, like this is, this is extremely therapeutic for her. And not everything she was going through was super sad, right? And so I wonder if that just kind of lent itself to the lightness of some of the rhythm Mm -hmm.
0: and her third album just came out and it's called jubilee and it is uh definitely different in tone you know she has a a, you know horn instruments and uh yeah it's different and so you can see she's as she said she's turned kind of a corner a little bit on her grief and yes it's definitely different
1: i like that um you know you were talking about kind of how she lost a link to her culture through when her mom died but one of the things she turned to was YouTube.
0: Yeah.
1: She's amazing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> the way she describes the, you know, the lady that teaches you how to Long do the Chi. different degree. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, modern era. Yeah,
0: and you were mentioning, we were talking about this earlier, how Asian moms don't write stuff down, right? They don't write these recipes down. And so these YouTubers are filling a void, you know, for people to learn authentic cooking.
1: That's the way I I would have to do it. I could get, I mean, my brother taught me how to make fish cakes. My mom leaves out, ingredients so I can't <laughs> I think it is sabotage but um that's just because she's a cheeky little butthead. My mom's hilarious. She does stupid crap like that all the time and I'm like oh mama I love you. Uh, that's where I get it from in the silly goofiness. But um yeah I'm gonna you know if I if I decided to make something some Thai food I would have to I would have to look to YouTube yeah. for sure. I got one for
0: you Pylons kitchen check out that channel.
1: Thailand or culture, hot thai cooking. I, oh, I might have seen yeah. that. Yeah. She's
0: good. But um she actually met Meng Chi. She uh Meng Chi is the cool. YouTuber and and she uh you know mentioned that oh you're my link to my culture and Chi says all the time. She says I got I got Korean kids who are adopted, you know, into American families. Oh yeah. There's all these people who who tell Chi, you're my auntie that I I don't have or you're you're my you're my link to my mom who passed away orphans they all all the time among she says it happens all the time that people come to me and tell me that i you know was able to teach them things that that they wanted to taste and remember but couldn't because they didn't never were taught and so yeah there's definitely this therapeutic element at the end of the book where she's just transported to to her her korean heritage through this cooking it's really amazing
1: yeah no i it made me really want to go get some korean oh, food for let me sure. tell you
0: but yeah food food in this book it's it's sprinkled all throughout but yeah especially towards the end mm-hmm.
1: she's super
0: nostalgic mm-hmm. and wants to learn everything.
1: like glomming onto that sort that part of yeah. her her culture and yeah certainly nostalgic
2: and like she also talked about how Asian culture overall is getting popularized on like internet and getting more exposure. I remember how she talked about the ten step skincare routine beyond YouTube and auto media, and I guess it's just it's changing so rapidly. Like these recent years, like Asian culture is being popularized and being appreciated a lot more.
0: Uh, let's get to the ending what what do you think of the ending the ending uh i heard an interview with her and and she originally had an ending where she was in the spa having the spa treatment in kind of just crying you know oh, yeah. and, and her editor was like i don't think that's where this ends and then uh then like you said J- japanese breakfast had the tour where they went to ended up in korea And it ended uh, with them singing karaoke to a song that the sisters sang 20, 30 years ago. And uh, yeah, it came full circle in a way, right? Where here's this hobby, quote unquote, that her mom was just waiting for her to grow out of. But it turns out to be her career. It turns out to be this leaping point for for so much of her life now, I mean, this is this is huge for her. This is how she makes not just makes a living, but she's just really blowing up as a as an international star. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel about the ending? It, it's hard to call it a happy ending, but it feels happy in a way.
1: It feels like she's resolved,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: At least in part of her, you know, grieving process that she it's become a, you know, I you can tell that her success, she wishes that her mom had seen her be successful, um, you know, touring and going back to the to the country where she was born and her, where her mom's from so that she could like be successful. And, and, but at the same time, she doesn't seem to, she feels like she's still doing it in tribute of her mother. It seems like she's, you know, she doesn't regret entirely that her mom wasn't there, that she knows that her mom, her mom's legacy is why she's doing it partially. Yeah. So it, it was very, it seemed resolved, like um, satisfying. you yeah, certainly not yeah. happy, but <laughs> satisfying. That's true.
2: For me, it's pretty heartwarming, I guess, because how we talked about like when she lost her, lost her mother, she's scared that she lost part of her linkage with Asian culture. But now she's touring all over places in Asia and somehow discovering new links to Asian culture. And at the end in the karaoke, I guess she's also learning more about her mother as well, learn about her childhood idols and finding a new linkage with her mother as well as her culture in Asia.
0: But yeah, she even said, um, like she's not a religious person, but she said something to the effect of, you know, is my mom watching out for me or did, you know, is this ordained in this way that her mom passed away and that led to the music and it led to this book and it led to she said her life is so not perfect isn't the right word but her, her the steps since her mom has died everything's worked out so well for her she can't help but think maybe her mom is orchestrating this somehow or fates or or whatever you know they took away something they crushed her but she's been reborn in a way to, to this new life that couldn't have had probably couldn't have happened if her mom hadn't passed away
1: it seems satisfying though it seemed yeah. like you know you know that she could she was resolved in this idea that she knew that she could live yeah she could live through this you know
2: I mean I feel like because every summer I like to search for books to read and on my book list I'll always look for something that's related to Asian American because I want to have like a reading process that made me feel like oh I'm I can relate to someone and these kind of experiences, like uh, what I'm experiencing is what someone else is experiencing as well. And I just like having this process of thinking about my culture, about how Asian I am, about like how I interact with my other friends, my other cultures. I think this book really helped me to like, um, get into that process and for me, this book is also like taking a sip of hot tea, get to think, get to taste the aftertaste. It was pretty soothing as well overall.
0: I I don't know if I would describe this book of, as a book that I liked, but it's definitely a it's one of those books that I wanted to read. And when I read it, I was like, uh but it's lingering with me. Like it's one of these books that makes you think it makes you feel and makes you reflect on your own life I feel like I don't think
1: she meant for people to like
0: that's a weird word to use for this book
1: <laughs> right yeah I feel like a lot of books are like that I have plenty of times in my class where kids are like I don't like this book and I'm like well you know what the author didn't mean for you to like it and that kind of blows kids right. minds sometimes I don't think she meant for people to this is not this is not a you're supposed to like it story this i feel like this is a this is um you're supposed to be able to relate to it though Mm -hmm. and i and i in that way i like it you know there are a lot of things that i could relate to and it it's also um helpful i'm sure for people who are you know have lost parents and lost you know loved ones or um And I'm sure it's also awesome for young musicians. Yeah. Can I do a plug?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So hold on a second. Let me grab it. I know I'm not going to be on camera, but I can show you guys. My friend Tamiko Nimura um, and Frank Abe and uh, Ross Ishigawa and Matt Sazaki just published this book. It's called We Hereby Refuse. Mm. Um, It's a graphic novel about the Japanese-American internment during World War II. And um, I went to high school. This is one of my best friends, um, Tamiko. She's right there. I'm very proud of her. She. This was just published. Um, so one of the things as a teacher, I'm always trying to do is find books that are um, that kids can relate to in some way or another. And you know, it's kind of difficult sometimes for sure. So it's um, four stories of of different people who who were interned during World War II in uh, our Japanese American
0: concentration camps. So. Mm. No, sounds great. Um, yet another. Kelly, you got anything you want to recommend for people to read?
2: Oh, yeah. So I read this book called Pachinko Ooh. by Menjin Lee.
0: That was another one I thought about, Dan. Did you like it?
2: I liked it. Um, I, well, the same thing. I wouldn't say I liked it, but it's like a really heavy story with generations of Korean living in Japan. Um, It was it was quite i don't know the the whole process of reading this book was kind of difficult for me there's a lot going on the chaos the heartbreaking moments but overall i think reading this book is really satisfying like i got to know a piece of history Mm.
0: yeah i'm looking to get uh kevin kwan's newish book sex and vanity i enjoy the crazy rich asian series uh yeah, again, it's not high literature or anything, but uh his his newish one, Sex and Vanity, sounds good. I don't know. I'll give it a try. Um, and then another one that's gotten some buzz, and, and this isn't about an Asian topic, but it's an Asian author, is uh, Kazuo Ishiguro uh wrote Clara and the Sun, which is hidden a lot of people's lists of books that you should read. So I always try to grab a book during summer, book or two during the summer, try to get those out. Well, uh, I do want to end on a, any high note, since we are just starting off as a podcast, I'm going to, I'd love to hear who's out there listening. So please email us. I'll give our email address in a minute, but to sweeten the pot, to entice you listeners out there to uh, email me, I will, I will choose. If you email me uh, anytime in between now and the next podcast, I will choose one lucky winner to get my copy of crying in H Mart. I will send it to you now. Chances are it's like my mom and my sister listening. So I'll just, I'll just hand them the book, but I will, I will mail you the book unless you, uh, unless you want to meet in San Francisco, but if you're anywhere else besides San Francisco, I will mail you my copy. I might even throw in a pack of ramen or uh, some, (laughs) some Korean snacks. All right. Well, that does it for episode number three three thank you to my host jackie thanks jackie for coming by
1: hey thank you for having me appreciate it
0: uh and of course thank you to we we call the youngest member of any korean band is called the maknae so our maknae for this podcast is kelly thanks for being our maknae today kelly
2: thank you for having me it was
0: fun it's good seeing you again i haven't seen you for a while i know and please let us know your thoughts. If you want to enter the raffle for the copy of Crying in Hmart, please email me at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com and please follow us at Instagram and Facebook at infatuationpodcast. All these details will be in the show notes. More episodes coming soon. We're about to record an episode about music and another one about the Olympics. So check wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google spotify stitcher come check by every so often or follow us even better follow us so you know what's coming but until then on behalf of jackie kelly and myself we hope you are all happy healthy and safe thanks again f- so much for listening and talk to you soon bye
1: cry too much in h
0: <laughs> don't cry in h be happy <laughs> in h mark bye everyone bye, bye.